Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. My guest in this episode uh, is an Australian professional golfer, uh, born here in Perth, grew up in Perth. He's known as uh, something of a master of the short game. He's played on the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour of Australasia uh, and the European Tour as well. He's a multiple uh, tournament winner. Uh, and many other things. So, hello and welcome to Brett Rumford. Yeah, cheers, Tim. Or Rummy. Yeah, Rummy. Rummy's yeah. fine. Rummy's great, thanks. We'll go with Rummy. Great to be from here. From this point on. Um, how are you? Great, thanks. That's yeah, good. It's good. I think the last, last time I caught up with you was probably a, a bit over two years ago, and uh, it wasn't that long after you'd come out of a fairly unusual uh, health scare. Mm. And yeah. which, which resulted in you having a section of your small intestine yeah, that's right. <laughs> removed. Yeah, that, I think um, it was at the Greg Norman Medal during the PGA Championship, maybe. Possibly. Um, somewhere around there. So yeah. I maybe went into a bit too much detail. No, maybe, not at all. But um, Not at all. It's, I mean, uh, it's a, <laughs> you're used to hearing stories of, uh, of golfers, you know, having shoulder issues yeah. or hip problems or something like that. But um, having a section of your gut yeah. ripped out. Is yep. um is quite an anomaly, I suppose. In yeah, it is in your line of work. Yeah, I've um, got an eight, inch, eight inch scar that reminds me of that every day. So, before we get into the the golf, yeah. well, what happened there? What was the problem? I'd had I'd had partial blockages previously. Um, probably my first one being when I was about seven. So I must have had a hereditary um, abnormality, I guess, in mm. my small intestine, which just caused these flare ups. I used to think that it was like a food allergy, maybe like a yep. chemical reaction, maybe that. Uh, enzyme, whatever it may be that, you know, just wasn't breaking it down properly. But yep. as it works out, it was the... Um, and it just resolved skin. in time Yeah, exactly. It would, yeah. it would come on for about two, two, three hours. Yeah. Um, intense pains, in, intense stomach cramps, should yep. I say, and, and it would come in waves. So I never really worked it out. Um, I'd always check myself in if it got, if it got bad enough. And I, and I did it three or four times when I, when I started to get a bit older. I'd just check myself into hospital. Um, I'd get on some morphine for the night, and then it would somehow just work so, itself so out. So pretty bad then. Yeah, yeah, really bad, really bad. Um, I can remember one time driving on the um, Mitchell Freeway, and uh, I could barely open my eyes. I mean, my eyes are watering um, that much through the pain. It yeah. wasn't necessarily crying, but it was just that intense with the um, with the tightening of the stomach. Wow. Um, so, and it's a blockage. So it's obviously it's just food. It's the actual mm. apple skin that yep. uh, the roughage that gets blocked, and then. Obviously, with the contractions that um, the small intestine has, yeah. trying to pass through the food from the small intestine through to the large, not to go into too much detail, but <laughs> um, yeah, obviously it just blocks, so you feel that wave come on, and yep. uh, it gets pretty intense. So 
Uh, little did I know it was actual food blockage yeah. um, and the actual apple skin. So it's you, actually non non digestible. You 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 didn't get tested as a kid. You know no. they often do the sort of scan the, yeah, the spectrum no. of foods and see what you react to. Um, I never did that. No, because it was just so random and just um, yeah. The occurrence was just so long in between. It was like it was years. And yeah, then, right. Um, it would just get to a point. So I, I couldn't really put or pinpoint yep. the exact cause as to the reason why this kept kept blocking. But I, you know, I just I just put it down to every time I had an apple. First one was a green banana. Uh, I used to eat bananas. You just basically inhale them. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't ripe enough, so it was really hard. And that's what caused the first blockage. So I'm guessing it was just some sort of yeah, just narrowing of the small intestine. Yeah. Just some birth yeah. defect, and. Yeah, so it was it was just a case of um, the small intestine as well. It's it's an area that's just um, even like scientifically, it's so um, underexplored at the moment. They're, mm. they're getting an idea um, mm. and they're getting closer to it, but yeah. um, immune health and gut health yeah. is still a frontier that they're still working very you know oh, extremely hard absolutely. on. Um, yeah. And it just gets very complicated down there. Yeah. And I just you know for, I guess for the occurrence, it's just not worth the time yeah. or, or mm. and and you know that's that's just health in general, isn't it? So. Mm. Um, unless you're actually prepared to actually physically go out there and do all the tests and, yeah. and do it yourself and be very proactive. I mean, that's general health and, and well-being with certain yeah. conditions that are just a little bit quirky or abnormal. Yeah. They can't quite pinpoint it. Mm. Um, that's up to the individual. And I just never thought it was actually worth the actual uh, yeah. um, the need to go into it for how regular it was. Until things got quite catastrophic for you. Yeah. Yeah, a tournament uh, <laughs> in South Africa in yes. 2015? It was 2015. Uh, uh, where early. things really yeah. came to quite a, a dramatic end for you. Um, that was yeah. that was pretty much the end. So, yeah. um, and look, it's, it's been a pretty tough road trying to mm. get back ever since. Um, being being where it was yeah. through the abdomen, I mean, that's, that's the center core. That's like your balance, your coordination, yeah. that's everything. Um, your diaphragm just it's it's so important it's such an integral part of what yep um physically anyway um i'm needing that uh, you know for the golf swing balance dynamic balance all the rest of it yeah. so coordination so i just uh yeah look it was it was a really it was a really tough time in my life as well it was 19 days in intensive care and a in Pretoria, which is a South African hospital, and they say don't get sick in South Africa, and I quickly worked <laughs> out did? why. Yeah, <laughs> I quickly worked out why that that's quite a famous saying. So, so even a professional golfer, you know, the facilities that you had access to were, were still fairly nightmarish for you. Or was Look, it, or was it the fact that you were there on your own? There was that. Yes, absolutely. But. Um, Look, uh, I think South Africa actually had, so far as the surgeons are concerned, it's um, their state of the art. The hospitals are amazing, mm, yep. uh, clean, um, and as I say, state of the art. I think they had their first heart transplant ever performed mm. uh, in the world was actually in South Africa. So they got some amazing minds, some amazing surgeons, uh, and that wasn't the issue. But um, I know Black Lives Matter is a massive topic at the moment. But um, look, you know, every every life matters, and I think it's probably more cultural than what it is. Um, uh, the color of your skin. So mm. I don't know. There's 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 many cultures out there, and it's just it's just another culture that that has evolved over time. And you definitely feel the racial tension between um, the whites and the blacks in in South Africa. No yep. doubt about it. It's a huge issue. It's talked about. It's um, it's lived every single day over there. Um, and you know, and and how soon that that could be. Um, you know, um, brought to an end or, you know, to have um, harmony between the two um, in the working environment. It's, it's a real, it's a real tension over there. And it's something that you feel when you're so vulnerable lying in a hospital mm. bed. 
yeah. you definitely feel the the conflict between the surgeons and the nurses yeah. um, that are within the hospital. It's just you can't you can't avoid it. Yeah. Um, but as I say, they're both the blacks in South Africa. They're beautiful. They they go to their villages, and they most of them they come in, they work for three months, and take their money back to their villages and their people, and life goes on. But um, you can see the beautiful side and the nature in in both both cultures. You know, the, the white, the Afrikaans. Uh, Earlier in the week, I, I went around and had, had a barbecue, had a braai with, with a family and very religious and just beautiful. And the blacks as well. I mean, they're just, they're happy, um, beautiful people. But you bring them together and mm. you just see the worst in humanity. Um, and th- and each culture as an individual. Um, mm. And it's just, you know what, that's just, um, that's just life, isn't it? It's just the way we've evolved and, um, and we're just... Yeah, so I, I really saw that firsthand and um, I've traveled the world all over. And as I say, every life matters. Um, I've been to China. Um, and again, you know, you've got the third world extremes with, with the extreme wealth. I think, there's a, I think there's a millionaire or a billionaire. I think every formed every two days or there's, there's three billionaires every two days or something uh, coming out of China. So it's, there's some extreme wealth. Um, but as an example, um, when you talk about you know, lives that matter. I, I, I just believe every life matters, um, regardless of, of gender or, or skin color. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be, we'll be hitting golf balls and, uh, the driving range might be 250 meters long and there's a fence down the back and guys are smashing drivers down there. But, um, the way that these, these, these little Chinamen, um, men and women, they're down there picking up range balls and they've just got these little hats on and because of the way they look and because of the way, um, they're so, um, undervalued, um, at that class, yeah. you know, guys are smashing drivers down the end of the driving range and there's people down there at the bottom of the net, just, just fishing balls to out, collect them, yep. just to collect balls. And I just think I was just, I, I just had to pull up some guys just saying, boys, can't you just hit a mm. five iron for two seconds? Like they, they're down there doing a job for us mm. and you guys are just hosing, you know, just whaling down drivers on these, on these, on these Chinamen. And it's mm. just, it's just not right. But mm. that's the psychology here in Australia at the Aussie masters. If it was an Australian down the bottom, um, picking up, it's just no. there's just no way you would do it, and mm. it's, it's there's this, I don't know what it is. It's just like this unwritten rule, um, um, or like this this social etiquette which is just so out of place in life, mm. um, and I see it, and it's the world over, and you know what? I, I just try and be a good person. I just try and, you know, do the right thing. But um, yeah, it's it's just sometimes it just it's just so blindingly obvious. Um, to some and others, it's just, mm. it just um, they just don't see it. Things, so. things you ponder when you're stuck in an ICU for 19 days staring at the <laughs> ceiling, yeah. huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot of time to, yeah. to think. Yeah. Um, things were going pretty well for you golf-wise too at that time, weren't they? Yeah, well, I, was, yeah. I was coming third or top five definitely in that yeah. event. Um, yeah. And yeah, after winning twice in, in 13, that was nice. 14 was a solid year. and 15, I was just really looking to, mm. I always found I played my best golf every second year. So I was just looking to really capitalize on build. 13 and, and yep. build again. It's really hard to try and back up yep. such great years. Yep. And then um, I really felt my game was coming on and then, um, yeah, it just got completely derailed. And then yep. there's a few people that sort of understand how how far back I went physically. Um, Aaron Doyle from Drive 360, I did a lot of work with him and, you know, just even just major surgery, having your lungs being on oxygen for a couple of days. Um, that was really, I couldn't even blow up a balloon for about um, four weeks, five weeks after wow. surgery. So something yeah. just so simple. Yeah. I couldn't roll over on my back. 
Um, that was another thing that was for like months before I could even roll over. So that's extraordinary. Yeah. So, and then to have won within two years, I just wish I actually had have kept a lot of the, um, the photos and the documentation that I'd taken on my phone while I was in South Africa. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't allowed my phone after the first week had to be put in a locker because of my condition. Right. Uh, due to theft or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, just part of the conditions. Um, yeah. So unfortunately when, and, and the videos that I had taken, it was it was so um, mentally disturbing to, to see to it. look at it. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of went through them all, and I just I just deleted them all. So, yeah. and I just wish. I know Chris Froome. He had a he had a nasty fall trying to take off a jacket in one of one of his training rides not long ago. Yeah, and um, he documented him getting taken. You know, the accident then being put in the ambulance and then taken to hospital and then, you know, images and footage mm. of the of the mm. whole experience um, of him back to now on the bike looking to to try and go out and win the, the Tour de France. It would be nice to have actually <laughs> actually had that collage of photos and video, but yeah. um, leading up to my win at the ISPS hander um, within two years, but I... I deleted it all and uh, I just, yeah. yeah well, I'm sure fun. it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just get it get it out of your, out of your head <laughs> and off your phone. Absolutely. Yeah. So life goes on. Absolutely. We'll get into uh, another chapter of your golfing adventures uh, right after we take a break. Brett Rumford uh, is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, Brett Rumford, a.k.a. Rummy, uh, Australian professional golfer, is our special guest in this episode. Uh, Brett, you're back here in Perth at the moment, obviously. These are rather different times. But uh, for a long time, you were based in Ascot Mm -hmm. in England. Um, Why there? And what was it like? Well, uh, why there first was uh, when, I wa- when I went across in 1999, I played a few um, um, invitational events mm-hmm. just before qualifying in 2000 through Q School. But um, a lot of the Australians uh, basically it just um, housed themselves around that area. Yeah. So the A30, um, which is just this uh, junction off the M25, was, was only one junction short of um, Heathrow. So it was very, yeah. very accessible. It was only about 18, 20 minutes to get to Heathrow. So Heathrow being the major hub, um, it was a very good central location mm. to mainland Europe. Most flights were, were within two hours, so it kind of just made sense. Um, and there was just a lot of great golf courses around there. It's the yeah. Surrey region, so um, it's where the PGA headquarters are, are located, um, which is Wentworth, which is basically the first golf course that you'll come across, the mm. A30. And then from there is Sunningdale, um, just amazing golf courses all the way around there. Berkshire, I mean, the, I mean, the list goes on and yeah. on and on and on. So I think there's about 12 Australians. Um, Peter O'Malley, uh, he's just over in Bracknell. He moved over to Sunning Hill um, a few years after that. But, yeah, so Wayne Wayne Riley, yeah. um, all these guys, John there. Sendon, yeah, Nick yeah. O'Hearn. Uh, he was north. I think he was the only Australian mm. that was living up through the Midlands. Um, but for the, for the most being, mm. they all just gravitated around this area. So, mm. and it was beautiful. Um, as I say, the, the accessibility to practice facilities and golf courses was a huge, huge mm. attraction as yeah. well as just having barbecues and catching up on the weekend with yeah. your fellow pros. It was really cool. So, yeah. uh, there was that and, um, yeah, so, and yeah, so just North Ascot, um, yeah, it's just a great spot. It's a great mm. place to be. Yeah. And, um, 
I'm sorry, I've, I've forgotten your second question. Oh, look, I'll get to my next one then. Yeah. I can't remember it either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but look, you know, as a, you obviously had been there for a, a while, yes. 1999, that's, that's going back over two decades now. Um, you know, and then, of course, you get married and yes. you become a dad. Um, how how tough is that? I mean, it's quite an unusual kind of family dynamic, isn't it, when yeah. you're jumping on a plane every yeah, however often yeah. to go play golf. How does it work? It's so transitional. You know, it's, it starts out, um, obviously, you're, you're from Australia, so anytime, anyone that's south of the equator, if you want to go play on a main tour, the two main, te- two main tours is Europe or the PGA Tour. So, yeah. unfortunately, um, you're going to have to travel yeah. if you want to go prove yourself on a on a world scale. Yeah. So that, that initially is really, really hard because you go from, you know, your familiar surroundings, you might, you might play as an amateur, you know, yeah. three or four max weeks away, but you know, majority of the time you're a homebody, mm. you're here, you got to, you know, your creature comforts of your support network and, and your surroundings are all very familiar. So mm. uh, my first year out, once I'd qualified in 2000, um, my manager at the time from IMG said, look, you know, best thing is just rent an apartment, get over here and you need to base yourself here. So I thought, yeah, great, let's do that. So um, I was all very excited. Could I ask, had, were you with your now wife then? No, no. no. So this is, yeah, so the transition being um, um, initially to get across there by yourself without that support network is very, very tough. Yeah. I, I cried most nights, yeah. um, particularly missing cuts. It was just like... You had the weekend and then, you know, four days before the the next event would start. It just seemed like an eternity. Yeah. Uh, you go back to your apartment um, and, yeah, you just had you just had no one around you. So yeah. it was just myself and that was it, mm-hmm. uh, just just taking on this big bad world. Um, and then things just become more and more comfortable. You settle in and, you know, things started to feel like home after a while. You know, it took maybe two or three years before mm-hmm. I, I truly became comfortable in my environment, traveling, you know, for six months back across to Europe. And then I met Sally, um, 06, 07, um, and we got married in 08 and in 08, Sally was still working full time and mm. our first year away was actually on the PGA tour. So I went away for 11 weeks, came back for a week, got married, Wow! picked up my wife, Sally, <laughs> and then went back to Dallas and we lived in Dallas for 12 months, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah. It was brilliant. And, yeah. um, to actually just have someone by your side, um, it is it is a single man sport in the sense that it's so selfish and it's uh, to compete at any level at the top level. Um, you got to be selfish. You got to be self-driven. You got to be highly motivated and you need to work really, really hard Yeah. to get there and then to stay there. You got to work even harder. So you need someone that's very, very understanding of that. Um, and it's very, very removed from, yeah, it's like a nine to five, like it's still a nine to five, but just the environment is just so, it's so different. Yeah. Um, so to actually have someone there by your side was, you know, just through the hard times, those those miscuts and and um, just putting clarity and um, and patience on, you know, the hard times is is a really really um, it's a really really um, cool asset to have and something that I've and, and I've not for everyone greatly. though, I mean not not for many yeah. I dare say. No 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 yeah. No. So it's something that I've you know I hugely value and after a while it, you do become a team. Um, and, and, and Sally's always been that integral part of my team as well mm. as manager, physio, coach, mm. and all the rest of it. It's, um, your wife is the one, one person. I mean, your caddy is probably the one person you're spending the most amount of time <laughs> with. So you, you're with them all day, every day, but, yeah. and your wife is a close second. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it's, yeah. um, 
yeah, so we based ourselves in Ascot after playing in 08. Um, it just wasn't for me, America. Uh, I just didn't want to base there full time. And I quickly realised if you play in America, it, you're back home for a week, why maybe is, or two. Why is that? What What were the main differences between playing in, in Europe or playing in the States? Well, it's, uh, again, Europe is seasonal. Yeah. So you run for six months and then six months you kind of get out of there, you come back here. I mean, you can still base yourself in, in mm. England, but... It was great for us because there's a lot of co-sanctioned events, which will, once the winter kicks in in Europe, um, we'll go to the Middle East, um, China, um, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, um, wherever it may be. It used to be South America. Not anymore. So we can commute from Perth, no problem. So I can come back for six months. I still might be traveling in between, going away for the odd three weeks here and there, but at least I could come back um, and spend time with the family just and just spend time in Perth. I just love Perth. Mm. Um, I am a bit of a homebody. So it's just great to be back here. Um, and basically, I just feel as I can get my best work done to recharge and then get back out there. Where America, it's one of those things I, I've always had had aspired to play in America. Obviously, it's it's the greatest yeah. tour on on the planet. Uh, it's the best players in the world. Um, but once I got across there, I quickly realised that this is you know it starts January one and and that's it. I mean, you're there yeah. the whole time. You might come back for the Australian Open and you yeah. might squeeze in another week. But golf has become a year round sport now. So um, Europe. And even, even the PGA Tour used to be seasonal. You used to have your three, four months off. And then you'd have a lot of players that would come travel to the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. Your Nicholas's, your players, and, and all these guys, Palmer's. And they, they would play the Australian Open. They would play these events down here because uh, there was just nothing going on. But now yep. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a year-round thing. Uh, yeah. There's no stop. There's, there's no – yeah, so your, your foot's on the accelerator and that's it. So, yep. And I just thought I just, I just, couldn't, I just couldn't give up um, – mm that disconnection between never coming home yeah. and and that's it. You know, yeah. um, I know speaking to Greg Chalmers, he moved across there. He's a Perth boy, moved across to Sydney for a bit and then he's been playing in America for a long, long while now, probably a good 18 years as well. And uh, when he came back for the ISPS a few, few years ago, I said, you know, when you're moving back to Perth or Sydney and he said, mate, I'm, this is it. You know, yeah. Dallas is, Dallas home is my now. home. Yeah, my tombstone's going to be in Dallas. And, is that right? Yeah, so I thought, wow, okay, so that's, yeah, look, that's a, that's a big disconnect and that's just uh you know once you once you got your family i guess you've got your family but mm. um beyond that mm. um yeah i just yeah i just prefer to come mm. home and yeah i just i just couldn't get my head around mm. doing that just disconnecting from perth altogether yes uh, what 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 about your you know your your kids um i suppose when they're before schooling age yes um they're a bit easier to travel with aren't they but oh, once brilliant. you, you, you want to kind of have something regular and yeah. structured in place when school yeah. age kicks in. How does that work? Oh, look, it's so much easier until you have twins. Yeah. <laughs> then, then throwing in twins. Caddies, that's, then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another dynamic again. So uh, not to go into what raising twins is all about, but for those that have raised twins, um, not know, me, exactly what it, yeah, know exactly what I'm talking about, but it was good. So the thing with, with having two was great. So Sally had one, I had the other. So traveling was great. Yeah. Um, okay. And Sally's organisational skills are phenomenal. So oh. that was our that was our godsend or heaven sent. But um, yeah, look, it was complicated. It was tough. It was definitely it was, but it was so distracting. Yeah, it was a good, a good thing. Yeah, so I mean, a, a good sort of. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was just so grounding, disconnecting, grounding and, and humbling and absolutely reprioritizing and all of that. Yep. Yeah. And once I got home, uh, good or bad, uh, it was just my time with the kids, time with Sally. We might be in some hotel, um, not very big, and we're all in the same room, but it was kind of cool and yeah, just hanging you know, out. Yeah, we're we're taping up um, 
elf elf to windows just trying to black it out and it's just that's that's the uk for those that have traveled in the uk know that b&b's and hotels um there is no such thing as a blind or blackout it's just sun comes up at 4 30 whenever (laughs) exactly 4 30 in the morning we were up so yeah yeah look it was it was great fun so and traveling that would come out to about maybe 30 percent of the events but most of the time they'll just be an ascot yeah um and then it was just great to come home on the Sunday. I'd fly back out on yeah. a Tuesday morning or something, mm. um, spend a day and a half. Yeah. So it worked really well. And and obviously up until when they were five, we had that we had that discussion whether we would school them over there for six months or mm. homeschool them. But yeah, look, homeschooling wasn't really an option for us, and we just want our kids to be as grounded as possible in the most consistent environment yeah. environment as possible <laughs> to be as normal as possible, hanging out, doing yeah. normal kids normal with things. their yeah exactly yeah. with with their with their age demographic. So, and uh, yeah, so they, yeah, look, they, they don't know really any better. So because I've traveled ever since. So Uh, it's just what they've grown up with. Probably now is probably more the, the thinking now, like, like, you know, what are you doing at home so much? Yeah. This is, uh, (laughs) this is, this is weird, dad. So (laughs) it's actually the opposite for me. Um, I want to ask you about some of your, uh, your victories on the circuit uh, after the break. This is Inspiring Stories. Brett Rumford is our special guest. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Brett Rumford is our special guest. Brett, we've come this far. We haven't actually talked about some of your great victories on the circuit. Right. Um, would it be fair to say you're the, the big one that really cemented your place and I'm imagining gave you the, the belief that you could uh, make the transition from amateur to pro was winning the um, the PGA Tour of yes. Australasia, the ANZ Players Championship? Because you were an amateur yeah. at that point, right? That was... Hundred percent. The transition is is the trickiest part. So, yeah. and even still, even after winning that, I I was still given a two week grace period to mm. to make up my mind as to whether I stay amateur, play in the Eisenhower Trophy one more one more year, and then go pro after that. Yeah. Uh, as as Aaron Badley did after winning the Aussie Open the week before me. Yep. He remained amateur, um, and I took the exemption January one because uh, that was like mid December. Yep. Uh, that event, the ANZ, um, and I took the exemption. So that two weeks was really. It was a real battle to try. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, I won a professional event. Uh, yeah. That's great. That's one week. As an amateur. But yeah. It's phenomenal. Exactly. Yeah. But it's a massive jump. It's a massive leap. Yeah. So, and it was just a case of, well, am I good enough? Yeah. So, um, but also as well, would have that experience of 12 months um, would have put me in better stead? Or, But even still in saying that, I had the window of two weeks. Yeah. Once that window was done. The opportunity was shut, so it wasn't right. like in another twelve months I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'll take that five-year exemption. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I was in here. I was in how it was great. So it was a case of yeah, just bite the bullet. Um, spoke to a lot of people. Ross Metherill, my coach at the time as well. Um, yeah, look, there's there's lots, lots of people. Because you would have been what 22, 23 yeah, at the time. Twenty one. Twenty one. Um, yeah, I was twenty one at the time. So it was yeah. Yeah, young. It was, it was, yeah, it was really young. It was um, look, it's um. It was just one of those things as well, like the finances. I wasn't allowed to take the the money, so the hundred and whatever it was, I think it was one hundred and seventy five thousand, one hundred eighty thousand. You couldn't um, take it. Yeah. So Craig Spence <laughs> took the took the winner's purse, being professional, and um, so and what, thought, he came well, he came second 
did he? But he was a technical professional. Yeah, technically. So oh, wow, I didn't mind you, I got that. my own back at the state open when <laughs> when I won as a pro. Um, but I think Brady Watt and then Oliver Goss they went head to head in a playoff. So they took the silverware and I took the. I took the check, you so the, 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 mind you, I think it was only booty. seven and a half thousand, but even yeah. still, hey, um, yeah, <laughs> I got my, wow, I got one back on the amateurs, but yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, it was a case of yeah, look, no money, um, and then just walk into this big bad world that uh, yeah. all the funding stops. Uh, Golf Australia at the time, um, we're doing an amazing job, um, and still do today with the funding. I mean, it's it's um, you take it for granted as an amateur, the expense. That, mm. that it that's occurred over twelve months of travel, and yep. um, I mean, God, you're not you're not playing half the amount of events, or even a quarter of the amount of events, is what you do professionally yeah. um, on a global scale. So, and it adds up very quickly, and you quickly realise, um, my God, this 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 game, this sport, this livelihood is very expensive. Yeah, when you start booking your own flights and organising your own accommodation, and then you know a caddy that you're getting for free, all of a sudden, yeah, I'll. I'll charge you eight hundred dollars just to carry your bag. Yeah, so, that's that's the going rate, is it? That, is that a well, is that, is that basically a day yeah or? in Australia? Yeah, yeah. anywhere between eight and twelve hundred dollars in Europe a day. You'd be looking at yeah, you'd be yeah. looking at nine hundred to eleven hundred pounds. Is that right? Yeah. So when the exchange rate was three to one, yeah, I go across in my first Some year. Expensive advice. Yeah. Yeah. Very expensive. So <laughs> it adds, as I say, it adds up very quickly, particularly with the exchange rate. So. Um, you got to set up your UK-based accounts very quickly. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, so... And, and was, start was getting a few checks and wins. Exactly. So mm. there's lots to there's lots to weigh up. And then fortunately enough for me, I had five events left on the Australasian tour calendar and I finished third on the money list, which yeah. was uh, which was a huge, um, huge win for me for the fact that, yes, uh, I think I made 220,000. I think I finished second, third, second in my last three events. Yep. If I had have counted that, that money, I would have won the money list. Yep. Um, even with playing just the six events. Yep. So, which was cool. So that kind of just, it gave me a huge, the finish to that season was yeah. probably the biggest injection that it was like, hey, yeah. you know what, I can I can mix it with these boys. I can play the game. I'm good enough. Um, I actually just had some financial um, security. And I always say that, you know, this game is like, uh, it's a glorified form of gambling. Like uh, we we back ourselves and we we put up our own money of anywhere between, you know, 1500 depending on where you're playing, and, and 3000 Australian dollars, 3500 Australian dollars that we're putting up every single week, and we're backing our own ability against another 156 other guys in the field. Mm. And, you know, you go out there, and you're, and you're basically you're, you're playing for your livelihood. Mm. But, um, and you pull that lever every single week, and sometimes, you know, I've been fortunate enough to hit the jackpot six times in Europe. Yeah. But um, it's crazy. It's, it's just crazy how if you, if you break down a, a career and you think, well... You're out there for 30 events a year and you play for 10 years. It's 300 events. Um, when you think of the players, the great European players that have won 10 times over 10 years, I mean, you, you're putting yourself in like the, the upper echelon of, of great European players. Mm. It's an amazing career mm. um, to win 10 times over 10. So that's 10 times out of 300. You're experiencing that adrenaline rush of like, hey, yeah. this is why I play the game. Yeah. But, um, the rest of the time, you're just smashing your head against the wall. I've always yeah. said that winning and is what easy. What am I doing? Yeah, exactly. Winning is easy. It's um, it's when you're running 35th mm. and you're not getting the bounces and the putts yeah. are not going in. That's when the game's hard. Yeah. So when you're pushing up against it and things are just not going your way, yeah. um, that's when the game is at its hardest. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's a different way of looking at it, but... Um, yeah, so it's just it's been a crazy journey, and yeah. um, and that and that beginning was just a just a huge, 
huge turning point for me. And uh, I, I got really, really fortunate with my transition because, as I say, it's, it's it's a really, really tough school going through Q schools and yeah. and just trying to get your foot in the door is is, is the number one mm. Achilles heel for most players. There's yeah. been some great players that have just never cracked it, mm. let alone one. But, yeah. Um, well, and you've been good enough to, to win six. Yeah. Um, six major tournaments. Tell me what that buzz is like if you you know the way you're describing them that they are infrequent they're yeah. to be cherished when they happen yeah. what's it like when you you know when you sink that final putt and you know yeah. you've won well look you not to, like every every finish is different like uh, you watch a football game you know you can win you can win by a large margin and then you can win with that moment where it comes down to the dying seconds and yeah. it's a snap kick from the pocket um and it goes through for a goal to win by a point you know, it's yeah. just a different adrenaline rush. It's a different moment. It's a different intensity. Mm. And um, there's been some weeks, um, like uh, winning back-to-back. I won in a playoff against yep. Marcus Fraser. Um, God, it's a remiss of me not to remember the other gentleman's name. English player. <laughs> I do apologize. Um, so, and that was a rush. Peter um, Whiteford. Peter Whiteford, thank you, mm. Tim. Cheers, mate. Um, Peter Whiteford, of course. Um, so, yeah, Sorry, look, it was, it, was a, it was an amazing <laughs> moment for the fact that how, how it – how it ended it was kind of like a that was a little bit unique for the fact that i kind of had the tournament in my hand i made a double on 17 i made a par on 18 which is a par five and almost felt as though the tournament yeah i let it through my fingers and then peter whiteford had a putt from about five feet on the last to win he missed we're going to a playoff so then it was a real real uh, roller coaster of emotion yeah and then after finishing so poorly i didn't really know what what i would have in the playoff but i hit a five and on to about three feet on a par five up the hill is probably the best golf shot I hit all week to yep. about four feet and roll this in for an eagle yep. to win the playoff. And it's kind of like you feel as though you've it was meant to be. Yeah. But you mm. kind of feel as though you've robbed one <laughs> yeah. after. Uh, so that was, that was weird. And then the week after in China, I um, hard fought battle against Miko Inland and I'm five up with, with four to play. And it's, it's kind of anticlimactic. You kind of just, you're just trying to just get it done, just, just get in the clubhouse. And yeah, but what's so weird is that with all the victories, there's probably only one that I really felt. And if you could bottle this emotion, then honestly, it's the body can can produce some amazing chemicals um, to give you some really euphoric feelings. And this chip in in my playoff against um, Paul Broadhurst was sorry, Philip Archer was just amazing. Um, and that was in 2007, yeah. the Amiga Masters. Uh, back of the green, um, and again, just a hard-fought battle all day, and you're just so much in your process. And the thing with winning is that it's you think of that moment of holding a putt from 15 feet on the last, and that's all you do as a kid. You just think about it, that last putt. You know, it's you, you don't think about the, you know, the the 72 holes prior. It's always the last <laughs> yeah. putt, and it's yeah. who you're holding it against. It's Tiger yeah. Woods, or it's yeah. you know, probably those before me. It was Nicholas, or whoever the best player is in the world. You just want yeah. to prove your worth against mm. the absolute best. Um, but it's amazing how much of a process it is, and mm. it's it kind of all just gets drowned out, and you're yeah. so much in that in that bubble of concentration mm. yeah. that you don't really you don't really respect the golf that you're playing, how well you might be playing, um, and respect how deep you're going and how much you're actually um, asking of yourself yeah. um, in every single moment, and every single moment has a turning point that you're that you're basically just pushing up against, mm. and you're you're having to basically just deal with with every single shot in the moment as best you can. And, and when, and at the end of the day, it's like, um, it's like, ah, oh, the Eagles, you know, the Eagles lost, you know, but they missed, they kicked 14 goals and you think, well, actually, yes, sorry, 14 points. Um, but they lost by three goals, but you think, well, that if you go back 12 points and they do happen to kick that goal, 
the whole game's different. Same mm. as soccer. Mm. You know, you think, oh, you know, they had all these opportunities, but the mm. ball goes back to the middle. Yeah. And it's a completely different outcome. Yeah. So, but it is what it is. Yeah. And winning, winning is final. Mm. Um, but it's in the moments. Yeah. It's, in the, it's in those very moments, those, those decisions that are made that make, uh, that make all the difference. And uh, so you're so caught up in that process and, it's, and it just becomes so anticlimactic. Yeah. Once it's done, it's kind of just a bit of a blur. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I went from so much emotion, this, the back of my head, I just had this, this rush of, I don't, God knows what it is. As I say, if I could, if I could bottle this <laughs> chemical that was released into my system, it was, I, it was I chipped <laughs> and it went in. I could see about a foot before it and I could hear the crowd starting to roar. And then as it dropped in, like this crowd is just, my God, it was just so intense. And I took one step and I couldn't feel, I couldn't really feel, I, I felt almost um, disabled. Like yeah. I was I was trying to walk, but I felt really weird with my yeah. walk. It felt like I couldn't feel my extremes or anything. But I thought, no, I'm pretty sure I'm walking normally. I'm walking. This is yeah. all right. Yeah. You look, just stay cool. Just look cool. Yeah. You're doing it. Right? Just so, um, too many endorphins to process. Oh, it was amazing. So it was absolutely amazing feeling. So, um, yeah. So, and you go from that, go back to my hotel room. Everyone leaves. Um, it's just yeah. one big circus. No yep. one's around. I missed my flight, so I had to check back into my hotel. And Crown Montana is um, it's a ski resort that's open just for this week. Everyone shut up. So I go downstairs, I have I have some dinner at the hotel, and it's just me and yep. go, everyone's asleep. Well, your win is everyone else's loss, isn't it? So yeah. they're ready to pack up and move on to the next one. <laughs> exactly. So no one to talk to. Everyone's asleep back in Perth. And I'm just, yeah, I can't sleep because now I'm just full You're of buzzing. adrenaline. Yeah. I'm buzzing. So I pretty much stayed up all night, I think. I, <laughs> just having I a party a, for one. Exactly. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you just want to just crawl out of your skin and just um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's just an amazing, and that's sport, isn't it? You know, it's it's why we play. But uh, as I say, I've only experienced it, you know, few few and yeah. far between. But it's all worth it. Yeah, yeah, many more than most, anyway. More of those stories coming up. We need to take a break. Brett Rumford is our special guest. This is inspiring stories. Back with more in a minute. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Brett's Rummy Rumford. Um, so many golfing stories I'm sure you've got to, uh, to share. And I wish we had several more hours, uh, Brett, but we don't. But tell me about the time that uh, you and Warney, yeah. the Warney, Yes, came into contact and, and how he managed to help you. Yeah, look, one is um, he's a massive golf fan. He loves it. Golf, loves it. Golf tragic. So, yeah, and good player in his own right. But um, the Dunhill Links Championship played with him a few years ago, and um, of course, we all know about Warney's career and, and his issues with his wrists. Um, so I, I've been having troubles with mine, and we just got talking. So uh, got to a point in in eighteen where it got so so bad that uh, I, my fourth quarter zone injection halfway through the year after the Open didn't take um and it just went from bad to worse so the Dunhill Lynx Championship is played later in the year we just got chatting on the driving range and he said look you know my surgeon that did mine highly recommend him probably Dr Jeff Eckhart here in Perth is is a is world renowned or at least nationally renowned as one of the top surgeons for wrists but uh Dr Gregory Hoy uh, his surgeon um basically had him on speed dial so yeah practically uh, sent him a text message as I was standing there um so once my year had finished in China, um, he definitely expedited, he fast-tracked 
and made the whole process from scan to yeah. uh, going to see the GP scan and then that whole process, which can take months, months yeah. and months and months. So it was great that I was able just to get on a plane, fly across. I was like one of the last appointments. He, he scheduled me in. Uh, he asked me, you know, how soon do you want it? Mm. I was flying back that night. And he said, and I said, ASAP. And he said, how's tomorrow morning? So the whole thing was just <laughs> wow. really, really like uh, matey-matey kind of yeah. like, yeah, let's get it done, um, which was amazing. So yeah. he basically just fast-tracked and got me back to playing probably three, four months sooner yeah. than than what I would have done had I had gone through the the appropriate lines yeah. um, back here in Perth. So mm. um, amazing. Um, and he was, he was phenomenal. He chopped me up in three places in my wrist and um, it, obviously with the – the whole rehab uh, that's that's taken a long while and yeah. and, and Warney's probably suggestion was mate just really commit to the exercises you you got to do them um, yeah. with the rehab side and says it's going to be painful and just monotonous but just do them get them done in the long run you you'll reap the rewards so yeah. my wrist has never been better my health uh, has never been better as well so yeah. i've been playing some great golf because of it excellent um are you playing much now yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm still playing Wednesdays. I play golf uh, with my old man on Sundays. Yeah. I'm studying a lot, so I'm doing my bridging at the moment. So yeah. what, is, what does that mean? COVID-19 world that we're living yeah. in, it was just a matter of uh, there's a three-year apprenticeship that you need to do. Okay. If you want to do your vocational side, which will give you the ability to, to teach or coach, set up an academy. Right. So right now I'm doing it at Wembley Golf Club. I have to do 600 hours, part of the criteria. But I can do it in a condensed form because I played on a main main tour more than five years. I missed the playing side, and now I just do the theory and a little bit of prac in the pro shop. So on a Friday and Saturday, I think in a couple of weeks, I'm doing three days a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday out at Wembley. So for your short game needs, come mm. and see me. Um, well, that's that's always been you know kind of what you're known for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. the, the short game. So you can't do much better. Yeah. Uh, than, than getting some tips from you. Yeah, so that's um, I'm still probably two three weeks away. So I've still got yeah. learning criteria in my in my uh, uh, coaching logbook one and two. Yeah, that I need to tick off. So I'm I'm doing that under Andy Thomas out at Wembley. So he's my mentor. Yeah, which is yeah he's doing a great job. So he's setting up an academy. The next big thing on your horizon is that what you're working towards? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it'd be remiss of me not to, to give back to the game mm. and uh, the knowledge that I've accumulated over the years. It'd be nice to, yeah, to give it back, yeah. to pay it forward. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's like, there's been some amazing talent that's come out of Perth and, and continues to, um, seems to be not every, not every decade, but seems to be every, you know, four or five years after yeah. that, we're, we're producing some amazing talent. And obviously yeah. Min Woo Lee just won on the European tour, the Vic Open earlier in the year. So he's got, it's just a shame for him with his momentum, um, uh, but hey, look, he's he's got a full career ahead of him. He's only yeah. young, and he's going to be yeah. an amazing talent. So, yeah. well, I say he is an amazing talent. He's going to have an amazing career. Yeah, and look, I, I couldn't help but notice your eyes absolutely light up when you were talking about, you know, that surge of chemicals. You know, yeah. when you nailed that that, yeah. that chip, <laughs> is that something you still crave? Ah, uh, look. Um, not necessarily. Like I, I just, I just love the process. Mm. I just love just, just getting out there and playing the game. You know, that's yep. that's number one. And to do it for a living, you know, I've just been really privileged to be able to do what I love. Yeah. So whether I'm just dispensing knowledge, or playing, playing out in a main tour, look, it's it's golf. I'm in the industry, and yep. um, I just love the game for what it is, and and mm. the many aspects that um, that it has. It's just, um, it's just an amazing game. Yeah. So, from Wembley. Is yes. that is this it now? Are you back in Perth for good, or are you? Yeah, no, no, no. Are you up, I'm, I'm still. Yeah, look, I'll be looking to go through go. Japanese Q school. Is yep. um is perhaps my next venture. Yeah. So Europe is still an option. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. We'll say. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I've got I've got family um, ties and commitments that uh, being a father and all that still yeah. uh, needs to adhere to. But <laughs> um, yeah. But my journey is uh, yeah. It's 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 unwritten at this it's particular point. Still to be written. Well, we look forward to finding out what happens. But uh, thank you so much for coming in. Cheers, Tim. And sharing your story. Much appreciated. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um... Polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.